Hi, and welcome to NARC Troopers, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. If you like today's episode, please come to my website, narctroopers.com, where you will hear many podcasts. You can follow me there. There's also a lot of articles to read about narcissistic, sociopathic, psychopathic relationships and the recovery that follows this traumatic abuse. Um, And I also have a video blog. So I think the objective for everything that we do here is wellness, wholeness, and happiness. And it's achievable. It just takes work. And I'm here to help you work towards that goal. That's narctroopers.com. Today's topic is called Trippin' Balls and Magical Thinking. Yeah, Trippin' Balls. Some of you know what that might be. Um, My subtitle is The San Pedro Cactus and Other Hallucinogens, A Narcissist, and the Hot Pocket of Life. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Roll your sleeves up, put your seatbelt on, here we go. Buckle up, buttercup. (sighs) Okay, life as I knew it imploded on June 18th, 2019, when my husband of 15 years suddenly discarded me. And since then, he has like speed morphed into another version of himself that is mind-bending. It's like a cluster, F you know what, of crazy In his convoluted Alice in Wonderland thinking, it was time to release the kraken and let the beast roam free. His sister aptly described it as letting the lion out of his cage. His personality disorder, he had NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, it compelled him to have a single-minded, myopic view of his wants and needs, so much, in fact, that anything or anyone who stood in his way would be summarily disposed of. He longed for new flesh, new expanded consciousness, and new sources of fuel for his ego. The thing about people with narcissistic personality disorder is that they are chameleons with no true self. They absorb the habits, mannerisms, speech, interests, and pretty much everything about the person they are with. Beneath that facade that false persona, lives something else entirely. I think it was just watching and learning and pretending. And then, you know, when it had depleted all of my resources, like a swarm of locusts, then he was gone in 60 seconds without a second thought or a backward glance. So, of course, there were red flags along the way. And even a presupposed diagnosis of cluster B disorder and addiction Even with that, I would not look or listen. I was warned by mental health professionals. I wouldn't listen. I was in denial. I was out of reach. Couldn't do it. I was riddled with my own abandonment issues, attachment problems, and a wounded inner child with layers and lifetimes of trauma that I needed to peel back like an onion. I thought that we were perfect together, a good match, because we had both had toxic programming and early abuse, and there was so much under 
under that though, that I just didn't see that, um, the, that, you know, different people react differently to trauma and, uh, not everybody who has trauma becomes a narcissist or a sociopath or even a psychopath. They say the difference between those, they're all in the same category, like types of colds or types of the flu or types of STDs or something. You know, they're in the same category. These cluster B disorders, narcissism, sociopath, sociopaths and psychopaths. The difference, they say, is psychopaths are sort of born with that severe enough brain damage that causes them to have all these features that are magnified. It's like being a narcissist on crack and they're kind of born that way. Um, I remember reading a story about Ted Bundy early on, you know, he's like serial killer, killed all those women and uh, tortured them and did stuff like that. And when he was like three or four, he was going in the kitchen and taking all of the knives out of the kitchen when he's a little, little bitty boy and placing them around his aunt who raised him, he would put those knives around her body while she was sleeping, just lay them all in the bed beside her and around her. She'd wake up and have knives all all over the place. Um, So, you know, nothing had happened, or maybe it did, but, I mean, he was a little bitty, and he still had this, um, you know, weird thing happening. So uh, with narcissists, more often than not, Trauma has happened early. It has been so impactful that they react with certain, um, in certain ways. And, um, and then that reshapes their brain. Um, and there's also some hereditary things that gives them a predisposition for it as well. I mean, there's all kinds of different theories on that. But anyway, back to what we're talking about. So I thought we had all that in common, but the difference is I was a person who went through trauma and my reaction was to become those other things, you know, with attachment issues, addictive personality disorder. I have that. I have addictive personality disorder, abandonment issues. Um, and I'm an empath, very sensitive. I can read people. I can feel their pain. I can feel their emotions in a very powerful way as if, I'm experiencing it myself when I'm in a room with other people feeling something. I, it's like I tap into that somehow and it becomes, it gets real, really fast, you know, whatever's going on with them. His reaction was like the opposite. And um, he developed the personality disorder of narcissism and sociopathy, which are close cousins, practically the same thing. And, uh, and so that was his response to his trauma. Um, but I thought, well, you know, we got the same thing. I didn't know that he was a volcano just waiting to erupt, that he was like an earthquake sending out all those warning tremors about what's getting ready to happen. The big one, Oh, it was like, like a receding tide signaling an approaching killer tsunami. How about this one? He was like a smoldering conflagration, just sparking and smoldering and waiting for the perfect moment to catch fire. Mm, I like that one. But there is something about starvation. I want to talk about that. Starvation and prolonged deprivation that weakens the body, mind, and soul. And for me, it's like I had been chained in a dark dungeon where I had been starved for my whole life. I just lay there in misery and 
abject hopelessness, numbed by this hunger, just anesthetized by it, unable to find the way out of the cave, you know, the shadow world that Plato wrote about. I'm unable to get out of there. When my disordered and maladapted rescuer came along with a banquet of delicious delights, I feasted in a frenzy and I got fat and full for the very first time in my whole life. Oh my gosh, I cannot tell you how wonderful that was. It didn't feel like abuse or danger. I was just so grateful to finally get some kind of nourishment and sustenance because I was an older, past middle age, well, not past middle age, depends on what you call middle age. I was a middle-aged woman. <laughs> Let's go with that. And I had made it that far into my 40s without ever experiencing uh, the feasting, the feeding. I had, I had been starved by every single person since birth that I had known. And so, of course, whatever he, he had to offer me was sublime. Um, and sure, yes, there were spiders and snakes slithering around, um, you know, in between all the beautiful food and stuff. There were like creepy crawly things, and I just brushed them away and focused on the feast. I didn't want to think about, like, what are these creepy crawly things? Ew, gross, no. Um, so... Yeah, any of y'all see that Peter Pan movie with Robin Williams where, and the Lost Boys where they had the food fight and they just imagine the food and it's all these super colors, really pretty, and they start throwing at each other all in technicolor splendor. It's just beautiful and it's just going all over the place. Well, they indulge and they enjoy, um, you know, that food. And um, so anyway, my point is it was like that. It was like this technicolor dream feast. Um, that I was given. So, you know, I'm, I'm in denial about everything else. I'm just going to look away. You know, I don't see any spiders. What spiders? I don't see any snakes. What snakes? As there's some glittery serpent coiling around my ankles and wrapping its way up my legs. I'm like, I don't see that. I don't know what you're talking about. So anyway, our lives proceeded in an ordinary fashion uh, for quite a while, we built a life, a home, a routine, a future, normal people, year after year. But for a person who's a narcissist, sociopath, or psychopath, they're incapable of emotional depth, intimacy, honesty, or loyalty. So the betrayals were there. They were sprinkled like poison through our lives. And a somatic covert narcissist is the most insidious predator of all because they believe this is mind-blowing, guys. They believe they're the good guy, that they're the white hat, the perpetual victim. Why is everybody so mean to me when I'm such a perfect, sweet, charming, hardworking, courteous, polite, helpful, generous gentleman, genius who can just rock your world and bring you to bliss? Why would anybody be mad at me? Why would anybody be so mean to me? That's what they think. They think they're the victim. It is, it's like... What? When they begin the devaluation stage in the second cycle of abuse, it can be sneaky, but tactfully vicious in a passive-aggressive kind of way. One of the creepiest things that my ex loved to do was watch me from a distance while I would search for him in a public place. He would like hide behind something 
and just watched me looking for him like he enjoyed seeing me search for him and not be able to find him or something crazy. He would criticize the way I spoke or talked to people. There was constant subtle tormenting about my appearance and uh, sort of a withdrawal of affection. At the time of departure, when the discard came, he blame shifted everything and accused me of being the one who was emotionally unavailable. After committing these heinous crimes against me and my family, he blamed me by saying that, you know, that the reason he did those things, it was my fault. I wasn't giving him what he needed. It was my fault. I was unavailable. It was my fault, whatever. He had to be creepy and do really inappropriate things and betray me because what choice did he have? I was not there for him according to his, his um, view of this. So um, then came the big reveal, the mask dropped and just like a snake who slips out of their skin, he slithered away. Freedom just rushed into his veins like a drug, and he wanted more of that. So experimentation with a variety of drugs followed, and psychoactive cacti became like um thing, MDT and um, other hallucinogens um, that he wanted to try on to kind of add to his new false persona because, you know, they develop a new one every time they dump one person and go to the next, then they get a new false self kind of, it's an oversimplification, but I I think it works to get this. What happens when you cross a narcissist who possesses this non-functioning prefrontal cortex and amygdala? When you cross that with mind altering hallucinogens that messed with your already warped sense of, of reality? Well, I'll tell you, it's a fast trip to crazy town. Factor in a revolving door of young, fresh meat, and it was a trip down Joy Lane with a new conquest every week, sometimes multiple times a week. He told me about that. Like in a period of, of like six weeks, he had gone through like eight or ten people. Wild times for a man who was a soft-spoken school teacher and he used to dress like Mr. Rogers with the sneakers and the sweaters and everything for like 12, 13 years. And a wild night consisted of an acai bowl followed by a commander tournament of Magic the Gathering. That was about as spicy as things get or got. Holy guacamole, this new version of himself that came to life after his departure revealed this hedonistic predator without a moral compass, compassion, remorse, or any breaks whatsoever. His entitlement and his grandiosity and magical thinking, all of these things compelled him to make the boldest, most impulsive, reckless, and even criminal choice imaginable. The most disturbing thing about it all with these hallucinogenic drugs, you know, that wasn't the most... The hallucinogenic drugs and even the sexual depravity, that was not even the most concerning thing. Not the impulsivity or the fantastical thinking that in no way was tethered to reality. Here's the most disturbing thing. The most disturbing thing about his transformation is the fact that many people who have these disorders experience tremendous success 
in their pursuit of their career goals and all that because they're ruthless, limitless, without guilt, without conscience. Imagine how far you could go without um, these encumberments to hold you back. That's the most disturbing thing. I actually think he will be successful with whatever endeavors he puts in places in front of himself. He says he's using intentions to manifest whatever he dreams of. He's already manifested $50,000, according to a story that he told me that it was spoken as that it really happened. So, um, you know, that's, that's how that goes. Within a few months after he jettisoned me out of his life and summarily erased 15 years of marriage and stability, he reinvented himself as the art wizard of Beverly Hills. That's what he called himself. Wizard because he messed around with stuff. I won't go into details, but it was dark stuff, scary stuff, weird stuff. And uh, Beverly Hills, because that's where he first went. He's not there now, but that's that's where he first landed after all of this event. Practicing this warped version of, of this law of attraction thing, he began to manifest his life of fame and fortune. Recently, he explained how how sometimes opportunities just present themselves and and that that's just how it how it is that's how he's manifesting his identity as an actually as an opportunist um as an emerging psychonaut which is someone who uses altered states brought on by meditation sex drugs and rituals to gain existential and spiritual insights his his emerging uh identity as a psychonaut um, and digital painter slash crypto artist. Well, he's he's constructing this new facade to conceal this nothingness that is within. His experiences with hallucinogens like San Pedro cacti, psilocybin, psilocybin um, mescaline, LSD, DMT, perhaps even that Ayahuasca. Um, I said, I know I didn't say that right. All of these things enable him to play alchemist to his own false identity. I guess people will try to seek God or some connection to the divine or to the universe or something ethereal. And for someone incapable of genuine emotions like empathy or moral constructs, substances, sex, and hocus pocus all provide the illusion of enlightenment. Narcissists and sociopaths are survivors above all else, and with their typical package of manipulative skills and most often above average looks and intelligence, they manage to construct lives and a cadre of supporters and groupies who adore them. They do not think or operate like neurotypical people. It's not that they set out to hurt other people. I don't think there's that kind of malice involved. These other people that get in the way or become inconvenient simply are collateral damage on their way to getting whatever this thing is that they want. As a rule, they have certain qualities that ensure their survival and success. Qualities like impulsivity allow them to just take what they want without thought of the consequences. They act first and ask for apologies later. They don't believe that the rules apply to them, so they're going to bend them and break them without hesitation. Their feelings of grandiosity and entitlement give them permission to always do whatever they want. Their arrogance 
that they have, uh, uh, that they are above everyone and everything, creates a personality that's reckless and dangerous. While they may not intentionally want to cause harm, it's, it is inevitable, and they simply don't care. They don't care. They don't care who they hurt. For example, if someone is murdered, does it really matter if it was premeditated or with malice or committed in the heat of a moment? Either way, the consequence is the same. The result is the same. The victim's dead, right? Uh, and if you are dead, do your intentions, did the intentions really matter of why the person murdered you? Think about it that way. Their damaged core, these people who are disordered, their damaged core does not want to take responsibility for their actions. So they're never going to admit any wrongdoing. They're always going to be the victim. They're always going to blame someone else. Since they don't like to see themselves as flawed, they don't like how that makes them feel about themselves. And so they're not going to own it. They're going to blame shift or deflect or project or gaslight or whatever. And, and there's no hope that they're ever going to change that. All sociopaths are narcissists. Not all narcissists are sociopaths, but either way, they share many of the same limitations that prevent them from ever becoming authentic humans. It is hard to know how to feel about this man who fed me well, only to fatten me up and then lead me to slaughter. Yeah, he got me all fat and then led me to the slaughterhouse. Sometimes I pity what happened to him and how it took his soul and shaped him into a twisted, convoluted version of that little boy who was injured so tragically so early on. And sometimes I hate him for making promises he couldn't keep and standing by while I, he watched me give up every single thing in my life that mattered to me just so that I could keep him. He never tried to warn me, stop me, or say, you know, is this a good idea? Maybe you should choose something else instead of putting all your eggs in my basket just so I can run away with all your eggs and the freaking basket too. He just watched it and was just like, okay, mm-hmm. what else are you going to do for me? What else are you going to give up for me? Sometimes I just surrender to the sad truth that I still have feelings for this man that this betrayer, this predator, this sick person who used me to get strong and wise from all the years that I fed him too, you know, it's, it's all three. I pity him, I hate him, and I love him. And that colors my memories of this strange beast, this man whose soul raped me and left me for dead, always said he was an animal, I argued that humans are different from animals because we have a conscience and an understanding of spirituality and altruism. Of course, that idea was foreign to him, but at the time, I didn't know why he didn't agree with me. He was right. He is truly an animal since he lacks a conscience and any concept of morals, virtue, integrity, fidelity, or empathy. He's all reptilian lizard brain, survival, the four F's, you know, fight, <laughs> flee, I, I just, I can't say it, feed or F, you know, the F word, the other one that, that, that lizards do. So while he speeds through the dark streets of those cool California nights, drug-infused, body-satiated, satiated, yeah, that's a good word, wind in his face, delusions, 
fueling a sick mind and empty soul, I'm going to be trying to create a life without him. When I think about how he left me a long time ago or how he wandered away from our marriage numerous times or how really what it really was is he was actually never really there at all. I'm going to remember this, that love is the most powerful, redemptive, transformative force in the universe. And then I will remember that he has never known what that feels like to love or to be loved. That's the important part, that he doesn't know what that is. He knows infatuation and lust. He knows it feels good to be with people who adore you and serve you and give you every part of themselves. But people with personality disorders will never experience real, authentic, powerful love. And knowing that, knowing that, it breaks my heart all over again every time. So that's it for today, guys. Stay away from the hallucinogens. (laughs) Stay away from the personality disordered people who will ultimately destroy you. Um, stay away from people who don't understand what you're going through and cannot validate your journey recovering from a traumatic and abusive relationship with a personality disordered person. Um, and just stay away from the COVID. Yeah. Stay away from that too. And try to stay healthy because you know what, if you play your cards, right, do the right things. If you fight, if you show that you're a survivor too, and you fight to get healthy and to get whole and to get happy and well, I know you can do it. I believe I can do it. It's been 12 and a half months and no, I'm not okay. But yeah, do I think I'm going to be okay at some part? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know what? I'm working on myself, constantly working and doing things for myself, with myself to get well, to get whole and to get better. I look at this thing that happened as an opportunity for self-improvement. I really resented that idea at first. I thought, what the hell? I was doing fine. I don't need this. I didn't ask for this. This is horrible. It's tragic. It's painful. It's like kicking my ass every which way. I don't know if I can even get through this. This is so unfair. But you know what? After you put all the poor me pity pot stuff aside and just face up to what's happening here, At the end of this, after you've recovered from this situation, you're going to be better person in a better place than you were before. That's a fact. Whether you want to accept that or not, I, I don't have control over that. But that's a fact. You're going to be a better person, stronger, wiser, healthier, and you're going to be in a better place without this person who is disordered, who is, who is doing crazy making and cognitive dissonance and that, oh my gosh, so much, so much sick and disordered, dysregulated stuff. Okay, guys, that's it for today. Um, hope you are well, stay healthy and get healthy and uh, keep fighting, keep fighting because I know some days you don't feel like it, but you know, you just get up the next day and then you do it again, and then and then that's how we get there. It is. That's how we're going to get there. And I hope that listening to this stuff shows you some new perspectives, teaches you something you didn't know, and most importantly, empowers you and gives you the strength and the courage to get up and to fight 
on. Okay, that's it, guys. Um, Take care. Much love. Talk to you next time. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.